on the data, it is unlikely that the decline in GDP in the first quarter of this year, even if followed by another GDP decline in the second quarter, indicates a recession. What is it that they're going to have to see in order for them to be able to declare this a recession? Well, they don't have to. That's the fucking irony. Yeah, I know. But what is it? This was some Bush League shit. Yeah. Because here's what they did is they put this statement out a week before. A nonprofit whose sole responsibility it is to be the indicator of this type of thing. And they have some other responsibilities, but they're the ones who proclaim we're in a recession, America. Yeah. Yeah. The week before, this is some bull, this is some Bush League bullying in the high school yard. They came out with all their might, official White House press release, put it out there the week before. The, and you can't tell me the People White House doesn't know the GDP dude. number is going to be negative. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. And we're recording. Hello, everybody. Sorry, it's still on his phone. Looking at the notes for the show. You were not looking <laughs> at the notes for the show. It's the higher standard. I'm Chris. That's Saeed. Hello, everybody. And we're going to... You just said that. Yeah. You can't say that twice. Just running back. Stop. All right. So this is a huge week for the economy and for a lot of the numbers that we've been predicting. And as a result of kind of the timing of when this episode is going to come out, which in theory should be the Friday after all these things happen, I would like to point out in advance that some of the stuff that we are going to talk about in this show, we'll get some relatively quick conclusion. If you're hearing this and we're wrong, it's Saeed's fault. (laughs) So the Bureau of Economic um, Analysis, uh, their analysis on the recession is too you right. You, yeah, yeah. Okay, you choking a little bit today. No, no, no. Uh, they say the recession is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. But really, the National Bureau of Economics Research gets to make the quote unquote official call, right? When they see a quote, a significant decline in economic activity. That is spread across the economy and that lasts more than a few months. You can just say Ember. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to yeah. shorten it up, you don't have to keep saying it. But um, some of those variables include income, employment, personal consumption, industrial production. It should be noted that Ember is a private nonprofit research organization mm. that focuses on the understanding of the US economy. You're so proud that you did that research. I did. <laughs> ah. But I know I, I teed that up because I know you're ready to sound oh, off. Oh, I am ready to sound off because there's a lot of bullshit that's happened. But before I do, let me point out two different, very distinct things. There's effectively two definitions for a recessionary economy, which you really highlighted that they have been pointing to and the media has been pointing to over time. Mm-hmm. There's one, the technical definition of two successive quarters of negative GDP growth. Right. It's measurable. It's quantifiable. Which is coming out. Which is coming out. So... The two things that are significant this particular week, which you will know by Friday by the time you hear this episode, are July 26th and 27th is the press conference. Uh, 27th is the press conference, but 26th and 27th is when the Fed is meeting with the conference on the 27th. GDP numbers come out on the 28th, and that is hugely impactful because right then and there, we should know, if you believe in our predictions, that there's going to be two successive quarters of negative GDP growth. That would meet the technical definition of a recessionary economy. However, right. the second definition that you pointed out mm-hmm. is this nebulous, wide bullshit that means nothing. Right. It, it depends on a variety of factors. They didn't give you any measurable criteria there whatsoever. It's like they're just so afraid to label this a recession. They're afraid of like the public outrage. Well, in their, in their defense, that has been historically some of the things they look at. But again, we know that unemployment is a lagging indicator. Yep. 
And you know, if you listen to the show and see the social media stuff, that we talked a lot about how unemployment as a lagging indicator must go up and wages must go down in order to fight inflation and to hold off a recessionary economy. These are just natural things that happen. Mm. So to use those as, quote, indicators is ass backwards. Because guess what happens? If wages are going down, unemployment's going up, you are already in a recession. Right. Well, we already know real wage growth is negative because it's not keeping up with inflation. Absolutely. Now, the problem is, as we talked about before, those numbers have been manipulated. But why leave it up to just us? (laughs) Why don't we go to a trusted resource like the White House? (laughs) Who put out the week before this week, just last week, this statement. What is a recession? Yeah. It's like, why are they even having to put this out? It's They're so, so good. <laughs> there was an accompanying article that went along with this, which went into like a bullshit half-assed, like non-really economic speaking article about how it shouldn't be a recession. Yeah. But spoiler alert. They're saying that this is not a recessionary economy. Yeah. So the week before GDP comes out to meet the technical definition, and of course, this next Fed interest rate increase, they say, what is a recession? While some maintain that two consecutive quarters of falling real GDP constitutes a recession, who is some that maintain this, by the way? This is the technical definition. Some maintain? Yeah, exactly. You Google this shit, that is the definition that comes up. That is the definition of recession. This is not me being an asshole. We are not some that are maintaining. This is from the White House. This is... Fucking White House. Okay. Falling GDP constitutes a recession, comma. That is neither the official definition nor the way the economists evaluate the state of the business cycle. What in the actual fuck is that? Yeah. So they go on to say, instead, both official determinations of recessions and economists' assessment of economic activity are based on a holistic look at the data, including the labor market, consumer and business spending, industrial production, and incomes. So basically what they're doing is pointing to the second definition by the National Bureau of Economic Research. Ember. Ember, because you can't say it, right? So they're pointing to the second definition because it's easier to point away from a technical definition because you go to an unquantifiable definition. Yeah. But let's just use what they put here before we get to the conclusion of this bullshit-ass statement. Labor market. Mm -hmm. Okay, unemployment is still low. Is that a good thing? (laughs) No, it's not a good thing. Okay, that tells us we're at the top of a prosperous economy. If you look back at recessionary economies, that is an absolute indicator, particularly when you got unemployment below 4%. That is not a healthy number. Do you feel like we're in a prosperous economy? Hell no. Right. Hell no. Uh, Consumer and business spending. Okay, we've gone here. Yeah. And we're going to go here again today because there's some new data out on that. Yeah, yeah. But consumer sentiment is low. We already talked about 77% of consumers feel the pinch. The other Mm -hmm. 23 are arguably realtors. Right? Lying to people because they also feel the pinch, too, because we right. know sales are down. Yep. Industrial production? What in the actual fuck? We had a supply shortage. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Supply-side recession, mm-hmm. which we believe has gone into a demand-side recession. That industrial production, yeah. that's a challenge. Have, mm-hmm. have, I mean, if, if we're going to say one thing, supply and demand argument that everybody and their mother's been throwing around, the most basic core concept of economy, just understanding it, mm-hmm. because of a lack of supply for everything. Right. What the fuck? Yeah. And incomes. And as you know, and I've already stated, have not kept up with inflation. No. The counter argument to that, however, from an economic standpoint, is that inflation is transitory. And your salary, in theory, if it goes up for a year, is static. Mm -hmm. Right? You should be making that as a bare minimum. Yeah. So even though you're making that salary, it shouldn't go down, but inflation can go up and down. So that's the counter argument from an economic perspective. But let's just wrap this up. With good old-fashioned White House logic. <laughs> Based on the data, it is unlikely that the decline in GDP in the first quarter of this year, even if followed by another GDP decline in the second quarter, indicates a recession. What is it that they're going to have to see in order for them to be able to declare this a recession? Well, they don't have to. That's the fucking irony. Yeah, I know, but this what is it? This was some Bush League shit. Yeah. Because here's what they did, is they put the statement out a week before. A nonprofit. Right. Whose sole responsibility it is to be the indicator of this type of thing. I mean, they have some other responsibilities, but they are the ones who proclaim, we are in a recession, America. Yeah. yeah. The week before, this is some bull, This is some Bush League bullying in the high school yard. They came out with all their might, official White House press release, put it out there the week before. The G- and you can't tell me the people White House doesn't know the GDP dude, number is going to be negative. People aren't listening to this because people feel it, dude. People feel it. You can... Call it a recession. Don't this, call it a recession. This made the rounds People on social media it. like you wouldn't believe. And I got to tell you, I haven't seen one single person post this and see, hey, guys, 
Mm-hmm. We're, we're in a good state. See, the White House said so. Every single person laughed at this shit. Yeah. Every single person. Yeah. But back to like... What was we, that a what, hiccup? What the fuck was no, that? But, <laughs> oh, look, you just choked. But back to what we were saying about You're that. It's like totally people, one topic. People are dipping into their savings and paying bills with credit cards, as we've talked about in the past. It's showing by consumer debt data, right? It is showing by consumer debt data. That was an attempt at a transition that Saeed did not want to back away from because of the weird hiccup that he made. But I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and give that one to you. Just because I got a lot on this one, and I experienced something that that I, did I show you the receipt? No, I went to go get lunch. Oh next no, you door. told me about this. Yeah, I went to go get lunch next door, and I'm getting ready to pay the tab. And what I always do is I always look at the tax. It's just how I work, right? So it was mm-hmm. lunch, three people, tax, whatever. And I saw an additional three percent charge for inflation, literally labeled inflation surcharge. I'm saying to think, like, why don't you just raise? Yeah, just like, adjust the, your prices. Yeah, adjust the prices. Like, yeah. adjust your food. Like, this does not make me feel like you're being more transparent about some. I mean, this is fucked up. There was no disclosure. Right. And now I'm like, do I tip this guy as much? It's not his fault. He's got wages. Yeah, that, you know, take it out of his tip. What an yeah. asshole you are, bro. I, I didn't take it out of his tip, yeah. but I thought about it. <laughs> I was upset. And I mean, just an unlike disclosed 3% charge for, quote, inflation. That's wild. That's wild. That is wild. Just raise your prices like normal people. Don't be D-bags. But back to the point. Credit card balances jumped $71 billion year over year, topping at $841 billion during the first quarter of 2022, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York reported. The average credit card interest rate was 17.46% as of July 20th, according to creditcards.com, and it may approach a record high of 19% by the end of the year, spurred, of course, by the Fed funds rates going up. So there, there is a lot more credit card balances. And there's a lot more fees for those balances, which is mm-hmm. also a scary thought when you think about the two of them combined. Right. Nearly 20% of Americans are afraid to check their credit card statements. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that I was know. the headline. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yo, like, I don't like lo- logging in and looking yeah. at my shit. I yeah, know, yeah, Jesus, I mean, man. You like, got to know. Yeah, like, that, that's not good. You can't right. be afraid to check can't, your balances. You can't hide from the truth. This on the heels of a Business Week article, which said nearly half of hourly workers say they have no emergency savings at all. God damn! And this None. is and this is like uh, you know rule of thumb that we should be preaching, and people should really attempt. I know now is not the probably the best time for people to start. It's going to be hard for them to start. But what uh, what would you say on average? Do you have six months of emergency savings, 12, 12 months. I've always, I've always believed that the minimum should be six months of all of your all of your debt obligations on a monthly basis. Yeah. So if you have a car payment, a house payment, utility bills, figure out what that number is on a monthly basis that you need to survive. Yeah, get there. Plus, like whatever spending you do, like on a normal like monthly basis, and then figure that out for six months. That should be an account you do not touch. For all intents and purposes, it's not there unless you absolutely need it. Yeah. The Treat problem like is though is as you grow and scale, yeah, that number goes up. Yeah, and you got to be mindful of that. Yeah, you have to be mindful of it. Put more money away, and it, it can become very tempting to use that and put it into an investment. But that is not investable money. That that is that is your spending money for if something happens. You've got six months to figure. Yeah, it out. treat it like a retirement account. You, it's there. You put it away. Don't even look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know it's a tough time for people to start that now. But when you can, is it an awkward time to say that your shorts are oddly short today? Who wears short shorts? These are very short. <laughs> These like are my a, runner shorts. Are they runner shorts? They yeah. look like runner shorts. I've yeah. seen a whole lot of thigh. All right. So I digress. <laughs> that number, nearly half, is up from 41% of people who said the same in 2021. Another sign that the pandemic era stimulus money and other savings measures have run out. Mm-hmm. That, this is my way of saying that Brian Moynihan sucks once again, but I don't want to say it too yeah. much because it's, it's somewhat repetitive of Brian Moynihan. He thinks his consumer base represents the entire nation. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's it's so bad. Uh, I've got so much more I want to say about the White House and consumer spending, but I'm going to pivot because there's some cool shit that that I want to talk about. And I know how much you love cryptocurrency. No, (laughs) I know how much you love (laughs) love what's going on in the crypto market. So a couple weeks ago. Uh, New York charged somebody in the first NFT insider trading. God damn. All right, so the backstory was, this is, this is pretty simple. So a guy who works for OpenSea, okay. and it's funny because they, they've gone after the biggest companies. They're, they're really trying to make headlines, right? Headlines, this- and they're trying to make an example out of these people. Yeah. So 
And it's funny they chose to start with NFTs. I don't know if it was a timing issue, but basically, the guy was an employee at OpenSea, and he knew which NFTs would be featured on the main page. Okay. And he knew that as NFTs were featured on the main page, those NFTs and then the subsequent NFTs that those artists whose projects were featured on the main page, their other projects that weren't featured would also go up in value. So this guy would be buying NFTs in advance of that through anonymous crypto wallets. Mm-hmm. And this, you're going you're gonna to notice a reoccurring theme here, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it all out at the end. So uh, if you guys can formulate your own opinions as to how good anonymity is, do so, and then we'll talk about it. So this guy gets charged. He would buy them through anonymous wallets that he opened up and didn't do any other trading activity in. So he would just buy it for this transaction, buy the NFTs. They would go up in value, and he sold them from somewhere between two and five times the value that he bought them from. Yeah. Right? But he had insider information. Now, this is not the SEC. This is not an insider 16B, 10B, 5 violation. This is just insider trading in the common law definition. This is not same markets but it is a crime still yeah yeah and most of these guys got hit with like money laundering and stuff like that and these individually each one of these charges carry up like 20 years these are not insignificant charges these are real you shouldn't have to tell people don't do this well so after so apparently open didn't have really strict rules around this they formulated rules after this happened <laughs> <laughs> saying that you can't you can't trade on information they thought it went without saying yeah but they had a really really lax policy now the second one which just happened this last week and made headlines was uh, a cryptocurrency related one so nfts first cryptocurrency second the same state and the same investigative team new york new york busted a coinbase employee man they're cracking the whip yep also insider trading. And he was part of a limited team. Now, Coinbase did have protocols in place and a very limited team that, that knew of what they were going to do. But they were going to take cryptocurrencies that weren't listed on Coinbase and list them on Coinbase. And for those of you uninitiated, Coinbase is effectively the largest trading platform Which gives them the some world. legitimacy, right? Right. So anytime like a coin like Shiba Inu or somebody like Doge gets listed on Coinbase to buy, mm. it usually increases the value. There's a pop. Yeah. So this guy, an Indian dude, uh, would refer some of the tips to his brother-in-law and then another colleague. Mm-hmm. Both these guys are, all of them I think were below 40. One of them was like in his 20s. Okay. Uh, I think the brother-in-law was in his 20s. It's sad. They made about $1.5 million doing this between the two, or two of them, the two guys that they track, right? But again, anonymous crypto wallets open, you, I mean, they would run them through several different, I mean, they were trying to hide the process. To yeah, make sure they clearly, didn't yeah. They, knew so, what they clearly knew what they were doing was wrong. They, Otherwise, they, why do it anonymously? I don't know if they knew it was wrong or not. I mean, I can't really speak for it because there's a lot of people who go, okay, well, this is a cryptocurrency. It's not regulated. It's not right. It's not wrong. Mm-hmm. But they certainly went to a large extent to hide the transactions. Yeah, right. So apparently somebody on Twitter had tracked the, tra- the trail of some of these anonymous wallets and figured out that somebody through these anonymous wallets had purchased five or six of the coins that were about to be listed the week before or like a day before they were listed. Okay. And the person on Twitter tagged Coinbase and commented, and Coinbase actually responded. Said they were looking into it. Oh, wow. So this dude and his family members and friends who were trading, these two guys, yeah. saw that and freaked out. Rightfully so. So Coinbase's internal security calls the Indian dude after some internal investigation a couple of days later and said, I like, hey. I like how referring to him as Indian dude. Indian dude. I don't want to give out his name. Yeah. But you can look him up. It's <laughs> not Indian dude. <laughs> so he... um. He gets called up to, to Washington, Coinbase's headquarters. He says, okay, I'll be there. Tells everybody he's gone. Books a flight to India. Hence <laughs> <laughs> right? Indian dude, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is in the airport. Told some of the Coinbase employees that, that he was in the airport, or he was already on the way to India, or that he'd already left, that yeah. he was already in India, right? I don't know why he did that. About ready to give him the plane. God, this guy just gets... Gets picked up by the authorities and stopped him from leaving the country. The other guy. Hey man, what did you think was going to happen? Like, you thought you were going to get away? His brother-in-law has been found. One of the guys is not found still. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. He so got, He got out first. And these guys are charged with multiple charges. And I think in the case of, of him and his brother-in-law, there's at least two that carry 20 years each. Yeah, so I don't have a lot of empathy for people like this. Can you define what people like this mean? <laughs> people that are just trying to make a quick buck. So you don't have a lot of empathy for anybody on social media? 
No, no. <laughs> These influ- influencers. No, but insider trading, man, that, that's a serious crime. Yeah, I know. I, like, I'm not I'm not advocating anybody to do this. This is absolutely crime in my mind. There's no question about it. But I will say, for those who are uninitiated and they go, this is not stock, why do I care? Is it that different than Elon Musk buying a shit ton of Well, Bitcoin? you're still required to report your taxes on it. Yes, the gains, capital gains. Yeah, so, together. I mean. But, but is it anything different than the Elon Musk buying hundreds of millions of dollars of Bitcoin, putting it on his balance sheet, and then popping it, propping it up, or Dogecoin for that matter, and then propping up the value by commenting about it publicly? That's is that his, really that's, different? That's his fault? That's his fault? It's not insider trading, but he's manipulating the value of that, which ultimately He wouldn't be the first person the to do something like I'm that. I'm just saying, who, yeah. are we, who are we pointing the finger at here? Yeah. Is, is that a good or a bad thing? Like, what, yeah. what's the deal? Coming down on the small guy versus the big guy? Yeah. Watch the segue. You ready? Yeah. I, was, I came in so <laughs> oh, hard. I came in so all, hard. His knees are shaking. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Elon Musk, the next the next topic. <laughs> I, Man, I he's so been in the news. He's been in the news, but I've got some fun stuff for you. So there are two private research firms that have done research into Twitter. Mm-hmm. And to set the stage here, he is claiming that he entered into this agreement based on the SEC filings and disclosures that were made to him about He's been consistent about this. The legitimacy of Twitter's user base. 95% right. was real and 5% or less were bots. That was based on the filings. Based on the filings, the SEC filings. Right. They're going to go to court over this, which still blows me away. I never thought that was going to get filed. I think it was on a previous episode where I was like, there's no way Twitter's going to be stupid enough to sue them over this. Well, they did. Okay, yeah. So I'm aware of a USC-based study where USC did a study, and it was about 15 to 20% was their, their estimated number of bot accounts. 15 to 20%. Okay. So, I, so that's, that's three to four times right, what right. they disclose. So I, did, I took the liberty of Googling this to see if anybody else had done the research because this USC one is relatively recent, but you know, that's one source. Right. Here's two more. The research firm Bot Sentinel, meanwhile, estimates that 10 to 15% of accounts on Twitter are inauthentic. That includes fakes, spammers, scammers, nefarious bots, duplicates, and single-purpose hate accounts. What is a single-purpose hate account? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. How do you define that? I hate just going after one specific person, or one specific cause, maybe. Oh yeah, a specific. You don't cause. hate everybody. You just yeah. hate yeah me. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's interesting. Inauthentic accounts are more likely to tweet about politics, cryptocurrency, climate change, and COVID nineteen, and less controversial topics like kittens and origami. <laughs> that was so polar to me when I read this. I yeah, was like, wait, you a went out of your way. <laughs> like whoever wrote this was like <laughs> kittens and origami. Yeah. When was the last time you saw anything about origami online? That's nothing. Yeah, I call bullshit on that. Yeah. Kittens, maybe. Bot Sentinel has found uh, Sarabia. I don't remember. It's, yeah. a different, it's a different research firm. Has a different methodology. Puts the percentage of inauthentic Twitter profiles at 13.5%. Which would still make this a material fact. A material misrepresentation. Yeah, material misrepresentation. I mean, and what, what would, if you were to guess, venture to guess, what would be Twitter's defense to this? Well, they're going to act like they didn't know. Here's the thing is, is how, so how do you prove conclusively mm-hmm. that, that, that accounts are bot accounts, that they're operated by a non-human, they're algorithm. Clearly three different firms, the bot sentinel, bot sentinel, Sarabia, what the hell, how do you say that? Yeah. Syabra, Sy- Syabra, whatever. Those two firms and USC, and I'm sure many others have formulated very different opinions. They're all around 15%. Yeah, it looks like that. Yeah. But uh, it's within that range. Yeah, it, they're all within the range. So I, I guess my question is this is does Twitter really want to go to war? And, I mean, do you really want to go open kimono? Yeah, I mean, you're just exposing yourself in all this. They certainly are. And there's no, there's no upside for them. The no. upside is you force Elon Musk to, to pay you a billion dollars. That's the most they're going to get. Right. Right. You're so, going, and, and on top of that, you're going after someone that I think for the for the masses is wildly popular. Yeah. The court of public opinion is going to going to rule against Twitter. Yeah. And Twitter is already not like a super beloved platform by most people. And here's the problem is, is Twitter is very niche. If you go to Twitter. There's a lot of cryptocurrency talk. There's a lot of climate change talk. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of COVID-19. That's absolutely there. Mm-hmm. And foreign countries have manipulated the rhetoric by having their bot accounts say these things. So. Those, of course, are the most popular topics on, on Twitter. I haven't been able to grow on Twitter, so I hate it. Right. 
because <laughs> they, they just clearly real estate is not one of these controversial yeah, yeah, topics. Exactly. Nobody cares about what I say. Mm-hmm. I've got a solid 360 something followers. Should talk about kittens and origami, man. I mean, I should talk about kittens and origami. Origami is a paper mache one, right? It, a paper what? It's, it's a paper mache yeah, one. Yeah, when they, when they, when they turn in little animals and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. paper mache, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, happened. it was cool when it came out when we were in elementary school. Maybe when you were in elementary school, young buck. Yeah. <laughs> some, some, some of us are, in a college. Little, are a little, <laughs> little older. So I think the problem for most people is they don't realize that if Elon Musk wins this, not only does he win and Twitter has some serious SEC issues, but he doesn't even lose a billion-dollar breakup fee because he was induced into signing mm-hmm. a contract based on misrepresentation. But in the midst of all this, wasn't there another allegation that came out against him too? Oh, man. Oh, this wasn't even on the agenda. It wasn't on the agenda. So, <laughs> But it's funny how these things come in waves. That's what you got to always question. Why does all this stuff, all this information come out in waves? Well, because it's it's easy to... It, so sometimes I wonder if it's like disinformation campaigns and something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, look, politics are, are a nasty thing. Actually, again, off topic, but I just learned this a couple of days ago because I was... We typically don't talk about politics on the show because I want to be able to have a non-biased opinion. And I feel like if politics get involved, people automatically have emotional connection yeah exactly biased or not but i found something fascinating the other day that i really didn't understand and realize and i went down a rabbit hole i was listening to the all-in podcast shout out to adam for recommending a listen and the guys in the podcast were talking about some of the political things that people were doing that were somewhat extreme behaviors like, and i went down a rabbit hole googling this one okay so it is not uncommon for let's say the democrats there's a ridiculous republican candidate right it is not uncommon for the Democrats to actually spend to help endorse and build more advertisements for that more ridiculous or ostentatious character so that that person makes yeah. the rest of the Republican Party look bad. So they're actually spending money, money yeah. to advertise for the Republicans to make that one candidate. Thinking that they'll have a better shot against them. Yeah. So that's how far down the rabbit. You've heard about all this Nancy Pelosi shit, right? Oh, the Nancy Pelosi stuff is crazy. What what drives me crazy about our whole the whole political system process is both sides during the primaries, right, are out there talking about extremes. And they're extreme yeah. left or extreme right. And then after they whoever wins the primary, they go, "No, no, no, I, as a matter of fact, I'm a little bit more moderate than that." And oh, just yeah. completely switch the tone. And you're like, "Dude, just like couple months ago, you were saying something completely different. Oh, yeah. That, that's 1,000% accurate. And look, no president has has not been guilty of that. Yeah, exactly. A, a great example, which I've talked about it in nauseam with somebody else the other day, was Obama. Mm-hmm. This whole Roe versus Wade thing. Yeah. He had the opportunity to kill it. He uh, could have galvanized the law. He had all... He had... He had all the political pull he needed to. He had the, the he had total the house, party he supremacy. Had the house he had, the Senate, yeah. All he had to do was do exactly what he promised he was going to do, what he campaigned on. But when he got in the office, it was like, mm, we want to focus on other things that are more impactful at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally, literally what he said. I'm not even making that shit up. That's right. exactly what he said. Yeah. And look, I, I don't, I'm not saying bad or good things about Obama, but I'm just saying this is, this is a, this is a problem with people. People, us as humans, we like this sensational shit. And the sensational shit is what people run on, run on, right? Yeah. They want to go extreme left, extreme right. And we've, and Trump, to, to his credit, or, or fault was really able to polarize and capture on a lot of the extremisms. Yeah. I don't know that it identified with any one person or not. There's certainly entire demographics that voted Republican that hadn't voted before before. Right. There, there's some interesting fodder about this, actually. Uh, for those of you who do, uh, God, I don't want to get political. We'll do yeah, it. I know. There's some interesting kind of thesis around where politics is headed because we're so extreme on left and right. There's a lot of people with more of like a fintech background or people that are coming up in different ways that have a lot of money to spend mm-hmm. that are trying to pull both sides back to center. Mm-hmm. But the only way to do that is to bring in people that are extremely on the wings yep. to pull people back and realize how ridiculous those those sides have gone and to try to find kind of this homeostasis. The, the whole system seems like it can be flawed, right? Like you're asking someone to basically win a popularity contest. You know, and then, hey, you have four years to fix the shit from the previous party. And then if, and then half that time, if you do win, you're spending it trying to get reelected, you know, so you're playing back to your base. And I don't know. The more I find out about politics and the more I've dived, I've dived into it, the more I can tell you that I don't understand 
kind of the basic human elements of it. I, I don't understand the personality types that want to do that for a living, and I certainly don't understand how. Well, it's a dirty game. We know it's a dirty game because oh, you touched, on, you touched yeah. on the whole Nancy Pelosi thing, and no one's buying that. Paul Pelosi, her husband, in one day trading on information that happened to be for NVIDIA yeah. on a bill that she presented, which, of course, he had to know when she was going to present. This is the first case. He, on one day, he made three times her salary. Yeah, man. I mean, come on. This is and not you, the first case. You see the video of when somebody asked her, a reporter asked her about it. She no. doubled down. She's like, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What was that? Asked her if, like, has your husband ever, you know, made any trades based on information that you She was in the whole, like, I don't know what he does. It, it, like, no. And then and she just, know. she asked him to repeat it. And, then, and all she said, she put her hand on the mic and just said, "No, no, no, not at all." And then just walks off stage. Yeah, of course she did. I, I, I mean, but yeah, it's, it's a dirty game. It's and, so every, dirty. And, and we all know it's a dirty game, and um, it's crazy how everyone just lets it go. Yeah. Well, I mean, what are you gonna do? You gonna you gonna try to go after somebody who's got like the law and the politics on their side? I mean, good yeah. luck. you heard about him getting the DUI, her husband, right? Yeah, and no one's talking about it. Charge got dismissed. Yeah. Charge got dismissed. Wow. Let me tell you right now, if I got a DUI, and nobody <laughs> going to get dismissed on those charges. Yeah, exactly. There's no way. <laughs> yeah. I haven't even seen a mugshot, which is sad. Oh, no. Nobody I talks about either. This. That's the crazy thing about so much which is going on right now is that, that people just don't talk about things that, that there's not an agenda for. Like this whole thing in the media with, with Pelosi. Yeah. There's been almost no conversation about it. Yeah. Think about it. There, there's been nothing. Right. If Trump did but this, this wasn't, but this wasn't the first time, and you're right. And if Trump did it, it'd be, you know, on every headline. Um, Which begs the question. I used to always hear people talk about how, like, CNBC and, and NBC and Fox and all these people had a bias. And I was like, nah, come on, man. It's just the news. All this. They really do, though. Yeah. Like, this is real. Like, yeah, there, yeah, there's yeah. real spins of this shit. And, and mm-hmm. as much as it pains me to say it because it makes you have to take everything with a grain of salt, it's true. Right. Uh, have you followed the... Uh, the business insider thing that they were going against with Dave Portnoy from Barstool Sports. No, what's this? Yeah, we've gone so left tonight. Yeah, I know we had other topics so to talk about. Yeah, we still, we'll get back to some of this yeah. stuff. Uh, basically, they did a hit piece on him saying that he had like sexually assaulted multiple women. And they interviewed them, and he was he wasn't going to back down from it. So he literally did like a press conference thing, like addressed people on social media. He's got right. millions of followers, right, right, and just kept going after. The, the journalist and the guy there who the editor in chief and and he and he finally sued them and he's still going through with a lawsuit with them right about the whole thing but he he basically went systematically through each one of the, the, the people and said like he was like this person i only met once and then he did the whole thing he, yeah he has a different approach to these but types he of had things text messages he had screenshots kept receipts. He kept receipts for everything good yeah it was it, it was sensationally interesting to see and i don't know if he's guilty not guilty i don't know if right. they're right or wrong but if you listen to him the yeah. rhetoric is, is this is absolutely a hit piece. It goes back to some previous stuff that I didn't want to do, and they wanted some sensational, and he, he just goes on and on and on, but he's suing them for it now. I can appreciate that kind of approach, though, because usually PR firms will will tell them that, you know, stay back, stay quiet, let this blow That's over. That's what he was told. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was told to do that. His law firm told him the same thing. Yeah. He's like, listen, if I'm going to present evidence in court, yeah, and it's going to be a public record, then I'll just put it out there now. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to do it myself so the court of public opinion can judge me. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the courtroom decides, fuck it. But I'm going to I'm going to let make sure the people know who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which good for him that he came with receipts. I mean, who, who's to know what to believe? But it's a reality that that that's kind of scary in the times that we're in. One accusation can can absolutely take you down. It, yeah, Johnny can Depp ruin. Or. Yeah, can ruin everything that you've built your entire life. Johnny Depp though got three hundred million dollar contract for Pirates of the Caribbean again. Did he really? That's the rumor. Is he got a over three hundred million dollar contract to be to return to Pirates of the Caribbean to bring him back? Yeah, yeah, because they probably saw the court of public opinion. I don't know. I mean, that's a whole lot of money, brother. Yeah, whole I, lot I think of money. yeah, Disney got a lot to spend though. Can you stop getting us off topic for two minutes? Yeah, okay. Sorry. Jesus Christ, average man. car payments. Average car payments now above seven hundred dollars a month. Highest price tag on record, baby. <sighs> it's actually seven hundred twelve dollars a month. So. Data from Edmund shows that 12.7% of new car loans in June 2022 came with a payment more than $1,000. God damn, man. My car payment is $500 and I'm sweating it. I talked to a buddy of mine who worked at a dealership. Yeah. And uh, he was telling me that there are Hondas that people walk off a lot paying like $1,000 a month for. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm in the process of trying to look for one and buy one now. And guess what? You're not getting anything you like. These I called a dealership. These cars are being sold while they're in transit. What? Yeah. That's like, a thing? That's a thing. I told him, I'm like, hey, so I really want, you know, this make and model, this trim. 
And he said, if you're gonna, if you want it, you're gonna have to buy it while it's being shipped here. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. I mean, uh, you test driving something at least? Are you like? Yeah, you. I mean, you could test drive it. We're buying a car that we already know. You know some what? Though, this model works friends, in Tesla. Tesla doesn't. You just you order it online like iPhone. You get. Yeah, but I mean, they have they had five cars on the lot that were new. The rest were all used. You know, there's this whole you know chip shortage. It's not just for Tesla. It's all the cars. You know, I, I, I've been told that they're doing it. So I, we, we were so like enraged about the whole BMW thing that yeah. whole uh, subscription service for eighteen bucks. Right. Look that up. It's not so bad when you get into it. Is if you don't buy, so if you don't get the heated seat option, uh-huh. the seats that they're buying now all have the heated seat functionality in them. Yeah, it's cheaper for them to just make them with it included than it is to make some with it and some without it. So just give it to me, man. I'm so already paying if you an don't pay for it, you can always add it later for eighteen dollars a month. But you don't have to keep the subscription up for like an entire. You could pay month to month, cancel it. So <laughs> who's, you doing it who's doing that? They're, they're, it's an option. They've done it before, apparently, and they decided they're going to bring it back. So that that's the thing. But what what really blew me away wasn't that. Maybe it's the summertime. We don't need heat seats. Yeah, shut it up. Shut it down. <laughs> uh, pretty much, yeah, right. What blew me away was uh, that they there's features that normally are supposed to come with the cars that because of chip shortage mm-hmm. that they just don't include, and you pay the same price. So if if there was like additional functionality like um, side sensors or something like that, whatever the chips control they couldn't get, they keyless just, entry or something, they just didn't include it, and you're paying the exact same price, wow. if not more than the old price. That's the part that blew me. I was talking to a couple of dealers, so I posted. Um, I know um, there's a bill trying to get passed now, right, to start manufacturing these chips here in the, in the states. Well, that was the Nvidia thing that Pelosi, Paul Pelosi, was trading on, mm-hmm. and that that whole thing's fucked up too because. They they're trying to incentivize these chip manufacturers to build in the U.S. and not yeah. be so dependent on places like Taiwan. Right. And there, there's a there's a great and compelling argument for the fact that nothing that we gave a lot of money away. Yeah, a lot of money away. Which do you really need to give them money for capital improvements, or do you really want to give them an incentivized reason to build here? Maybe tax benefits, right. maybe long term viability. I don't know that anything they did with this whole, other than make Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi rich, I don't know that that whole thing actually worked. Hmm. Like, I, I don't know that it's going to incentivize anybody. I mean, there there is a need for it. We need chips here. We need to have a less of a reliance on offshore stuff. But yeah, based on what's happening right now and, and what we're doing, it, it's it's economically viable for these companies to go overseas where it's just simply cheaper. Yeah, I mean, how are you going to bridge that gap? Yeah, I don't know how you're going to bridge that gap, but we we went through the numbers on that on our auto repo uh, episode where a lot of people are underwater, man, and it's because they're overpaying for cars, and maybe this is something that they're trying to avoid for the future. Yeah, and uh, you can set these things up all you want. Capitalism is capitalism. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I don't, I don't be a dick here. I don't be negative, but if people can go someplace else buy a similar quality product for cheaper. And make more profit on it. That's just the natural economic behavior that people are gonna are gonna take. Yeah, and companies are no different than people when it comes to those kind of things, right? Because the people who run the companies and they make the companies more profitable, they're gonna do whatever they can to make the companies profitable. Their fiduciary responsibilities to the shareholders and to their their, their employees and their boards. Mm-hmm. It's not to you, the consumer. That's true. I mean, capitalism always wins. So, as much as we believe in this fallacy of American made, that that core concept of pride in, in manufacturing left a long time ago because let me ask you a question and I want you to be honest. Yeah. You go to the grocery store. I went today. Okay. And I put two products in front of you. Yeah. One of them is American made. It says on the box. The other one says it's made in the Philippines. Okay. They both taste exactly the same. But the American made one is more expensive. Mm-hmm. Which one you buy? The one my wife told me to buy. Yeah, good answer. Yeah, good answer. <laughs> All right, that's always going to be the answer. Whichever one I see in our cupboards and our shelves and our fridge the most. But I mean, if it was my choice, it was something that I liked. Yeah, the cheaper one. All right. Now with food, it's it's a little bit polar. Some people will go, oh, "I'll buy American made because I trust America better." Okay. But if I said that same example and I said you went to an electronic store mm-hmm. and there were two different radios or two different televisions or something. Radio is mm-hmm. kind of an outdated example. Yeah, God bro. Damn, God damn. Jesus. <laughs> so I, what I'm, is he talking about? Radio? I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. An eight track system? 
Come on, man. I've been going down like this Natalia like <laughs> path recently. Think of all the things that we don't do today. That remember we talked about in the last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just, it's just so much stuff that I grew up with that we don't do anymore. That's really upsetting. Yeah, yeah. I, know. I also believe that the rest of the Marvel universe is fucked. But that's a whole different conversation uh, for another day. Uh, oh, I've been I've been caught up. My the last one I saw was Endgame. So really, I'm really far behind. Yeah, you fucked up. I I just watched uh, the one uh, Thor. Yeah, Thor one was good. I watched that. Wasn't as good as is as, as uh, it's got some bad reviews. Yeah, and I get why it does because it was a little light on plot, and, and it was yeah. Watiti, the director, mm-hmm. a lo- he's, he seems like a very personable, loving, like awesome dude. Like I like him; he's a really great guy. Right. Uh, Love and Thunder was not what the previous one was. I didn't know it was a remake. No, 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 it wasn't. A re- God damn it! I don't know. I'm I'm how, so how out of you? touch. How are you, my friend? Yeah, <laughs> I've just got into so uh, my brother in law. He actually introduced Marvel to us during the pandemic. So I watched everything from Iron Man 1 all the way through. kids, bro. No, so that's why he made me watch this. You have to watch this. One day, Adam and Arya are going to want to know all this shit. I've been in your son's room. He's got all Marvel shit. What are you talking about? He's he's telling me, like, he's asking me, who is this? I'm looking at him like, I don't know. Let's FaceTime your uncle. I have no idea who this is. You never had a comic book growing up? Never once. Bro, what kind of sad-ass childhood did you have? This is why I know all that bullshit about the NBA. That's all I watched. It is true. Yeah. It is true. Yeah. It is sad. It is but sad. true. Like but my uh I'm 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 still processing. Hold who's on. Who's your favorite who's your favorite Avenger? I don't have a favorite Avenger. You have to I have a like, favorite everybody has a favorite Avenger. I don't have a favorite Avenger. I just I like the I like the nostalgia of the show. Oh, come on, man. You see yeah. you strike me as an Iron Man guy. That's some arrogant shit. Why? Yeah. He's, a, he's a rich guy. <laughs> he's a rich guy that has cool toys, gadgets. Yeah, he makes everything. That's incredibly he fucking he, hurtful. He, he that thinks is, he's that. the coolest guy. That's incredibly that's you. fucking yeah, hurtful. That's you. That's you. Okay. Yeah. If anything, I look at myself as Ant Man. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> wow. Uh, There's so many dick jokes I can make. I'm trying not to. I'm trying to stay away from fat jokes. Oh, I'm trying to be yeah, a better I man know, know, yeah. for the show. I'm right, trying to be. Right. Did you read that? Did you hear that article that that like there's a great amount of people, I think like 40-something percent of people in China, when you send them a, an eggplant emoji, they think it refers to an actual eggplant. No. <laughs> I don't know what that emoji is. Bro, I've seen the eggplant emoji a number of times. I know you know damn yeah, well what, exactly. what that is. It's an eggplant. It's an eggplant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, they don't know what it, what it represents. So for my Chinese friends out there who I've sent a, an emoji that was an eggplant to, it is not an eggplant. It's supposed to be a reference to the male organ. Now yeah. you know. Yeah. Reading rainbow. <laughs> That's where you should use the soundboard. I yeah, I, we should get a reading rainbow soundboard. Yeah. We'll probably get sued for that too, though. Yeah. Damn. All right, kids. There's some additional things coming up that I want to be clear on. Obviously, with the Fed interest rate increase coming up, there's some things that are going on behind the scenes that I want to be highlighting as we walk into Friday. If Said can focus for two minutes, uh-huh. the Fed now owns 2.7 trillion dollars of mortgage bonds. Part of its plan to prop up the financial system when COVID first started. Okay, and it began selling them in June. Mm-hmm. That's in addition to the 3.3 trillion of bank reserves that it's draining from its nearly nine trillion balance sheet to put all this money into motion. The quantitative tightening that Said right. has referenced multiple times that we haven't seen the impacts from. Mm-hmm. So now is let's play a game, Said. All right. How confident are you in the 75 base points still? We call 75. That was a prediction last week. I'm confident. Confident. I'm, st- I'm, I'm staying. I'm, I'm staying with it. Equally as confident. What is the GDP number? I don't know. So negative. That I think I negative one point five was the last one. Negative one point five or something like that. One point six. I think it's one point five. Atlanta Fed I mean, had a negative one point two last I checked. Uh-huh. Atlanta GDP. No, one point five. Was one point five? Yeah, yeah. Their projection was one point five, and because they increased on the last one, we'll go negative one point seven. Really? Yeah. That's my projection. Do you think there's any world where it could come back and be like a one? No way. No way. Quantitative tightening just started. We haven't even, they haven't even, uh, it hasn't even gone into effect long enough. We would need, it's going to be 45 billion a month for the next couple months. And um, I don't know, man. It's definitely going to be negative GDP and we're in a recession. Well, what's your projection? No, sir. We are not in a recession. Yeah, we are. The White House has said yeah, no. that two successive quarters of a GDP, while being a technical definition, mm-hmm. is not enough for the National Bureau of Economic Research. So what's your projection? 
declare recession. Um, I believe that the number will be negative. I think there will be a lot of controversy. Obviously, there's a lot of political pressure on the nonprofit. There's a lot of political pressure on the Fed. But I've said it before. I think the Fed backs off their monetary policy. There, there's going to be some long-lasting implications of, of some of these challenges. And by proxy, uh, we've been using housing as kind of one of the talking points for many of our episodes. Right. New Zealand uh, has had some pretty significant pullbacks in their housing prices. And I went down the path from a Bloomberg article that the bubbliest title, the bubbliest housing market is cooling in a, in a warning for the world. <laughs> so this is kind of a summary, but basically rock bottom mortgage rates, government stimulus, and annual increases in home values around 30%. That is what led to their bubble, which is now bursting, palpably yeah. bursting, visibly bursting, quantifiably bursting. Those are all the exact same things that happened here. Right. They happened in Canada. They've happened in the UK. This is not unique to the United States right now. This is, this is a worldwide economic problem. Right. And now you've got this happening in some of these early emerging countries that, that have had the same issues. Why are we any different? Why would, we, why would anyone think we're any different? You know, with the rates going up, the cost of labor and supplies going up, you know, affordability not there why would we be any different well we're not and i think that's where the fed can't look at at everything that we're doing and and really back off from their original intent the intent was to continue to raise rates mm -hmm. until beyond what they called kind of homeostasis right at the same time builders who have an economic interest in supplying homes to the market where there are buyers and we have a supply shortage around the country mm -hmm of homes that a lot of these real estate agents are talking about, they're already pulling back. Mm -hmm. this, I, I swear to God, this answers your question. On Tuesday, two weeks ago, we learned that home builders broke ground on 982,000 single-family homes in June. That's down 19% since February and down 16% from the same month in 2021. While it's hardly a blowout, it's clear builders are cutting back. Historically speaking, that's exactly what happens when housing cycles turn over. As existing home inventory comes up, Builders compete against these, these new supply of right. homes or that they're back in the market, there's existing supply. What happens? They start offering incentives. Values yeah. start going down. Mm -hmm. As a result, builders typically pull back from building more homes. They just stop production. They don't stop production, but they certainly pull back because they don't want to deliver more product to the market at less of a dollar with all this extra supply if it's just right. going to sit there. So you're already starting to see them pull back. And then everybody says, well, supply and demand issues. Well, if supply was such a huge issue that people could just buy, 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 they're in the business of selling homes. Yeah. They wouldn't just pull out of the market. Exactly. They're pulling out of the market because they're concerned people aren't going to buy them. Yeah, they're seeing the trends. And um, I did a little bit more research for the show. So look at uh, you. I didn't even know what this was until I started researching it. So rub your thigh while you say this. The S&P case on, Schiller go. is a national home price index. You got really that, hairy legs, dude. That <laughs> These are really hairy. Hold on. The S&P case Schiller is a national home price index that measures the changes uh -huh. in the sale prices of single family residences across the US. Yep. So tomorrow, apparently it's projected they're going to show a year on year a home prices cooled off in May to an intense 20.8%. Really? That's the forward moving projection for tomorrow? Mm -hmm. For tomorrow. That's going to be reported. And That's additionally, Schiller, huh? yeah, on okay. top of that, additionally, the Commerce Department new home sales number is expected to have fallen by 4.6% from last so that, month. So this is interesting too. So one of the trends that I, I think I've seen pretty visibly in the housing market is that you've seen a trajectory, which is clearly indicative of what should be values coming down. So you see like more homes in the market, they're staying longer in the market, yep. things like that are happening. And there's certainly more supply, which, again, mm -hmm. the, the builders aren't giving extra deliveries for their prolonged future. So this is kind of a, an interesting yeah. curve. So I guess. And even today, remember, I sent you that screenshot from Zillow. I took a screenshot of. Yeah, yeah, your they house actually, price. They actually sent me an email and Zillow, also in the business of selling homes, right, sends me my listing saying that value for the first time. Has gone down. Yeah, somebody got fired for that for sure. What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you, Why are you doing this? So <laughs> don't I mean, let Dave Ramsey see it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but he, at the same time, here's what's happened: 
is that you've seen house home prices reached an average value over across the country in May of mm-hmm. four hundred thousand. That was a historic number. That right. was a high highest ever been. And in June, it came out at four hundred sixteen thousand. Mm-hmm. So I say this not to say that home values are not coming down. As a matter of fact, they already are coming down. It's very palpable. California, anecdotally, in the month of June, had a very clear and data backed decrease from seven hundred sixty thousand dollars in the average home price down to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in the average home price. That's real. Yeah. yeah. So the, the values are coming down, but across the country, that number still actually went up through June. And I don't know if that's bad data or bad reporting. It did come from the National Association of Realtors, so grain of salt. Right. For those of you who don't know, the National Association of Realtors have a different perspective when it comes to affordability. Their solution for affordability issues is not home values coming down. It's interest rates need to go down. Right. Okay. They've literally had that for 14 years. Right. And they're sticking with the same mantra. So it's kind of baffling that, that they haven't been educating their own people. Mm-hmm. By leading by example, they're, they're they're taking a really odd policy example. So all this to say that I think we are starting to see the impacts that the Fed needs to see to say that hey, they're making some headway, mm-hmm. but we are so far away from it. Right, we're starting to see little tiny wins. California coming back down a little bit. We're starting to see the national number slowing, hopefully, in trajectory. Hopefully, coming down soon. If your numbers are great for tomorrow, then then that that projection actually comes true. Mm-hmm. You see GDP negative. You have to declare a recession. You just have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what like we said earlier in the on the episode, what is it gonna what would it have to take in order for them to declare it a recession? Like if if not this, then what? Well, the the well they can easily say, okay, first quarter was nebulous as far as bad goes. Right. Well we're seeing we're already seeing there's hiring freezes across all tech companies. There's that too, right? Yeah, so, yeah, all the things that are there. So I guess the theory could be made. The argument theoretically could be you could wait an extra quarter to because either way, this quarter Q two has yeah. been a recessionary economy. Right. You can wait till the next quarter to do it. This whole fallacy of a soft landing or a soft recession, I think that's just kind of gone by by the wayside now. Whether it would be long or short or a deep or you know not so deep recession, I think that's still to be determined. But as of right now, I I think you get a recessionary declaration despite the White House's attempt, despite all the things that have happened. That's retroactive, which includes Q1 and Q2. And mm-hmm. I do think that at 75 basis points, I think you get a negative, a pretty strong negative GDP number. The Atlanta Fed did the exact same thing prior to the last quarter's GDP. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see any difference. They haven't week. updated their prediction? They'll update their prediction literally like the night before. Okay. Or like the day the day of or something like yeah. right, right before the, the yeah. number's announced. That's just how it works. So maybe tomorrow. Uh, uh, what day is it? No, Monday. No, that'll be like uh, Wednesday. 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 Okay. Wednesday or Thursday. They'll probably update it. Mm-hmm. Either right. way, that's it. Please don't wear the shorts here anymore. All right, come on, man. These like... are too short. These are way too short. <laughs> like, I'm looking I'm looking pretty high. I, want, I was going to file an HR claim against you. Do we have HR? Yes, my wife upstairs. She yeah. hates me. You're, you're in good hands. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends, that's all we got for you this week. Till next time. Which is literally a couple days later. Yeah. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.